From Radio Free Europe, I'm Reid Standish, and this is Talking China in Eurasia. It's been over a year since Russia invaded Ukraine. Ukraine is not going down without a fight. And that moment has helped bring China and Russia closer than ever before. This year alone, while the West has been trying to isolate Russia, China has been Moscow's strongest backer. Isolated on the global stage, Putin more than ever will be looking for a show of solidarity from Xi. But years before the war in Ukraine pushed their relationship into the spotlight, both countries had been growing closer for years. And maybe one of the most overlooked examples of their growing cooperation has been a shared push to control the internet. Recently, Radio for Europe got unprecedented access to leak documents from closed-door meetings between China and Russia's censorship agencies. While both governments are still keeping some cards close to their chests, the documents give a behind-the-scenes look at a consequential part of this fast-changing relationship. To go through them with me is Andrei Shoshnikov. He's the editor of Sistema, Radio for Europe's Russian investigative unit, and he's been taking the lead on this story. So, Andre, I know we worked together on this investigation, but why don't we start by breaking down the basics, what the leaks contain, and what they tell us about China and Russia's cooperation together. Hi, Reid. We've obtained uh, documents and recordings from closed-door meetings in 2017 and 19 between officials uh, from CAC, which is uh, Cyberspace Administration of China, and Roskomnadzor, the government agency charged with policing Russian internet. First of all, both countries prize internet uh, censorship and uh, restricting information because it relates to political stability at home. So, over the last decade or so, as Beijing and Moscow have continued to grow closer, they also have been steadily signing deals about how to control the flow of information online. Many of these agreements have been signed at the highest level during summits between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin over the years. And the documents we have show what that looks like in practice. Chinese state media reported Xi said China and Russia would resolutely support each other in defending core interests and would deepen strategic cooperation. Xi also said China-Russia's strategic cooperation was unshakable, past, present and future. Meeting notes, audio recordings, written exchanges and emails uh, show that Russian officials are actually asking for advice from their Chinese counterparts on high range of topics, like uh, how do you deal with VPNs? How do you deal with store? How you censor internet in general? They are also seeking ways to crack encrypted internet traffic, uh, as well as seeking tips from China experience in uh, regulating messaging platforms. On the other side, Chinese officials sought Russian expertise on regulating media and dealing with popular dissent and also sent multiple requests to block certain articles and websites inside Russia. Okay, so I want to get into some of the revelations from these files. But first, I remember back in 2017 that this was this time when the Russian government was really putting in place this infrastructure to target speech online. 
a lot of these measures really failed when it came to implementing them in practice. In particular, obviously, there's this attempt that people know about, this failed attempt by the government to try to ban the messaging app Telegram, which I believe is back in 2018. And then, you know, when we look ahead a little bit from there to 2019, we get to this point where we see this controversial sovereign internet law come into force. And that allowed Moscow to tighten control over the country's internet even more than it ever had before. So I guess my question is, did Russia learn how to do this from China? This attempt to block Telegram was a massive failure. Russian government invested so much into it and they failed. So basically, the messaging app continued to work while other apps like crucial banking services and stuff like this didn't work in Russia. So, of course, Russia needed some place or some knowledge to learn from. And China could provide this uh, knowledge. But we can't say for sure that Russia learned all of this from their Chinese counterparts. But what is very interesting from the documents is that they they show the meeting in July 2017 where Alexander Zharov, uh, former head of Roskomnadzor, met with Chinese delegation in Moscow. During that meeting, Zharov asked for help to arrange a visit for Russian specialists to China, which never happened before, where they could study the operations of China's Great Firewall. This is the official anthem of China's Cyberspace Administration, the state agency that censors the internet there. With loyalty and devotion, they sing, we watch over our domain day and night. There are still independent news websites in Russia, but if this is the inspiration for the further development of the Russian internet, these websites face an uncertain future. Right. So I guess it's not conclusive proof, but it certainly shows that there were exchanges underway that were attempt to study China's systems in the lead up to Russia unveiling its own methods. Yes, that's right. Few follow up details uh, are offered in the files we've obtained, uh, but we have a summary of those discussions that Roskomnadzor shared with the FSB. In that document, Zharov strikes a positive note and calls for speeding up the cooperation with China to improve the blocking of information and the need for the quote-unquote exchange of experience at the level of the technical specialist between two countries. Right. I mean, that was something that really stood out to me when we were going this as, you know, quite a, an interesting note. And I was quite surprised to see that request happen within there. Um, okay. So, Andre, should we talk about what else was discussed during that meeting? Like, what China was looking to learn from Russia and how that tied into Russia's uh, political situation at the time. Sure. Another interesting part uh, is that this meeting took place a few months after country-wide protests. Russian police detained anti-corruption protesters in central Moscow to cries of shame, shame from the crowds. In Moscow and uh, many other cities that were sparked by an investigation by Alexei Navalny and his team detailing alleged corruption by Dmitry Medvedev. Navalny and his supporters allege that President Vladimir Putin and his associates have committed corruption on a massive scale. I've been covering this protest and these protests were quite large. It uh, seemed to me like 
people understood that it could be the last chance for Russian uh, society to have a popular uprising against the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin's regime. And hundreds of people on the streets uh, were combated by police, uh, police forces brutally. I mean... I mean, comparing to the other countries, Russian police never use rubber bullets or tear gas or stuff like this. They use their own hands. But it's actually not less dangerous because people were tortured after being arrested. They were tortured in police stations. And many people had to lose their freedoms to serve time in prison after this uh, So that uprising. was this, this time where the government was really, really worried about what it was seeing on the streets in I, response to these I mean, this it was a very important time for, for Russian um, civil society, yes. Uh, and uh, um, these uh, protests uh, were especially interesting uh, because most of the people who participated in them were students and youngsters who were using internet and who were less exposed to propaganda that comes from the state TV channels so they could learn more about the tactic of protests, about uh, corruption in the states mm -hmm. from these internet uh, sources that Russian government is trying to censor. So what does that then take, take us and how does that tie into what we found in, in, in these documents? Chinese site asked for more details on the types of information blocked in Russia and how it monitors online discussions and um, processes personal data. Then they ask about the protest and want to know what tools Roskomnadzor used to regulate media coverage of the nationwide rallies. It's interesting here the response from Zharov, who said that protests in some cities took place with proper permits from the authorities because they were deemed relatively small scale and enthusiasm from them would fade within a few days. That's a quote from Zharov, which actually is not true because, first of all, these protests were not permitted. The authorities gave permission for a demonstration on the edge of Moscow, but the evening before, Navalny called on people to march on Tverskaya Street in the center of the Russian capital. And uh, enthusiasm for the protest continued for weeks and weeks after uh, this protest happened. So, so he's lying to the, the Chinese side. Exactly. Yeah. He may, maybe wanted uh, to show power or that everything is under control here in Russia. Uh, he then uh, went to say that the decision to let the protest take place was influenced by Putin's very high level of support from the public, which he said it's at around 89%. This is interesting also because polls at the same time showed that Putin's support was not quite as solid as uh, this. And also we know from a previous trove of documents that we have obtained that online interest inside Russia about the Navalny documentary was high for months. It was actually one of the most popular videos, this investigation in the Russian internet. Right, so again, to summarize what we've been talking about so far, Andre, we're seeing, these documents are showing us that there are growing exchanges that are focused on understanding between each side, what, what the other one is doing in one area, where they see the other one falling short, 
and what they might learn from each other. Okay, so I want to rewind a little bit before we keep going forward. And I want to talk a bit about how we got to this point where we are that we've just been discussing. So we were talking about this 2017 meeting, which came after this wider push in the previous years among officials to deepen cooperation between Beijing and Moscow, especially when it came to monitoring this information online. In particular, I'm thinking of this meeting that happened back in April 2016. There's this group that's called the Safer Internet League. They organize this conference in Moscow, and it's featured this large Chinese delegation. In particular, they had a guy named Fan Bingxing, who is the architect of the Great Firewall, this big censorship agency that we're talking about and that the Russians were hoping to learn more about. So, Andre, what can you tell us about the Safe Internet League? And also, what give us a state of what it was like in the internal political struggles in Russia in that time, especially the sort of debates around working closely with China? The Safe Internet League uh, is led by a guy called uh, Denis Davidov, uh, who is connected to some influential people in Moscow that are close to Kremlin. And uh, he founded it as a type of censorship lobby that wanted to restrict so-called Western information and websites uh, in the name of protecting uh, traditional values. It's a classic type uh, of uh, Gongo. Gongo is government non-government organization. So this is a kind of a term in Russian. Yeah, it's actually around. organized by the state, but uh, it acts like it's a, a citizenship uh, grassroots organiza- organization, which is not. And uh, the group is funded by Konstantin Malafeev, a conservative Russian oligarch with close, with close links to the Kremlin and Russian Orthodox Church. And when I say conservative Russian oligarch, you need to understand he's very conservative. Like, uh, comparing with other conservative people on the West, he's totally very, very, very close to far right. Okay. We also know from reports and speaking with sources that there were different camps within Russia who wanted to take cooperation in different directions. Some segments of Russian intelligence were still suspicious of involving the Chinese more closely in Russian domestic affairs. Okay, so there's this struggle going on, and then it seems like the camp pushing for that closer involvement with the Chinese is the one that won out. So we've established now that these documents show deepening cooperation between China and Russia. Also, we've talked about this exchange of best practices and expertise when it comes to censorship and control on the internet. Uh, I want to go forward to the 2019 documents, Andre. Uh, we know there was this meeting where Zherev asked the Chinese delegation for advice on how to counteract attempts to bypass uh, you know, blocking of sites um, and different apps. And that's probably because the Telegram situation had been such a big failure. That same year... Russia and China had an agreement to block the spread of forbidden information. And then the Chinese side later that year was asking for a bunch of things to be blocked from the Russian Internet. There's a story in Chinese from the BBC, a blog post that discusses rumors of Xi suffering a back injury that received only 4,000 page views, and links to certain profiles on the Russian version of Facebook, the Kontaktie. One of these profiles shared a video of an ethnic Uyghur couple dancing. And we know Beijing has been accused of serious human rights violations there against Uyghurs um, and maybe even worse than human rights violations. Andre, I know they had this agreement, but how did Russia actually react to these requests? 
<clears throat> Russian government is obsessed with making sovereign decisions. It's one of the main thing in their ideology that Russia only decides what to do inside Russia and outside of Russia. So we don't know how Roskomnadzor exactly responded to this uh, Chinese uh, request. But uh, we see that currently all these links are accessible in Russia and uh, there is no like a blacklist uh, of websites that they are in. It's actually a few in Russia and you cannot find these links in these blacklists. Okay, so that's really interesting that, I mean, as much as these documents and, and this whole story that we've been talking about here today that really shows how you know Russia and China are growing closer together and perhaps converging in how they deal with information and speech online. But there still is this gap that exists. And it's also interesting that they didn't comply with these Chinese requests, right? Right. Okay, so Andre, I think as we're wrapping up here, I'm curious to get your take on what you think all this might tell us about the future for China and for Russia, both as these are two governments that are working closer together, but also what, what this might mean for their people. You know, Beijing and Moscow, they've grown even closer than during this period that these documents cover, you know, if we're talking about today. Since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine, it's waged this relentless campaign of repression at home. You know, it's been putting citizens in jail for these small offenses and really totally clamping down on speech in a way that it didn't used to do before. So... What do these documents help tell us about where China and Russia are headed together? Russian and Chinese governments are very much different from each other. Mm -hmm. It looks like they were trying to find the common language, at least, and to share that uh, some experience, but they didn't want to overshare it, actually. There are no secret uh, technical details and... Uh, Uh, sharing codes of programs that uh, they are using uh, to provide this uh, internet uh, censorship. N nothing like this. It's just ex exchange between two state entities that are trying to cooperate to look better in the eyes uh, of uh, Kremlin and uh, Chinese uh, government. Uh, but uh, If you think about it, it's quite a crazy idea that China will restrict information in Russia and Russia will use Chinese uh, technologies to restrict information also in Russia. Countries are too, too different from each other. And Chinese internet differs so much from Russian internet because it was created by government and uh China was able to control this evolution of Chinese internet. Since really the inception of the internet. Yes. Right? Yeah. In Russia, enthusiasts uh, organized internet services to the people. Several Russian uh, agencies involved to build the infrastructure, and they sometimes compete with each other in this field. Lots of private companies uh, that government has no control of operate in Russia in internet sphere. Uh, Russian internet giants uh, provide actually good services uh, to the local people. So I don't see the picture how these heads of these companies, even with this uh, system of censorship in Russia, Uh, will comply even to Chinese laws and prosecute information about Uyghurs and, and Uyghur people dancing. 
with all this obsession uh, about sovereignty in Russia, I don't see how it will work. And to be honest, I don't want uh, Russian government to try to cooperate more with Chinese counterparts because uh, there is still a free space available in some places e in Russian today. internet. Even today, even today, even today, we, you and me, we can reach Russian audience. Our article was read by Russian audience and quoted by independent Russian media. Mm -hmm. It's, it could be impossible in China. I mean, none of the Chinese media took our article and quoted it because two systems are too different. So, I mean, I guess what we're seeing here is there, there is that there is that cooperation that's happening. Russia is learning from China. China is learning from Russia. But still, these are very different systems. They're still very different countries. And even if you do learn what is a best practice in China, that does that, that's a bit of a clumsy fit still inside Russia, yeah. right? And I like this club, China, Russia, Iran. I mean, they need to include Iran into this conversation. They also very good in restricting internet, right? Well, I, I mean, maybe that's a, a topic for a future uh, investigation we can work on together. Um, okay, Andre. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to end it there. But this was a really fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining today. My pleasure. All right, that's all for this episode. I'm your host, Reed Standish. Katie Toth is our producer. Studio direction was done by Jan Kaiser. And a big thank you to editors Carla Padret, Kathleen Moore, and Pete Baumgartner. And to Radio Free Europe's journalists around the world that make podcasts like this possible. If you want to read this investigation, you can find it online at rfrl.org or you can go to Current Time TV and read it in Russian. And if you like this podcast, please share it and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you like to listen. Finally, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Shining Eurasian newsletter, which goes out every other Wednesday. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.